This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. What's up, Cedar Valley, and hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com, hosted by me, UNI Insider for Town Square Media, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Good stuff again on today's show. Shocker, I know. Cameron Salerno from the Sacramento Bee. He joins us today. We're going to preview that UNI versus number eight Sacramento State game. That's happening today in the Dome at 4 p.m. And yes, I will be there to cover the game. Feel free to stop by and say hi if you see me. Then we're switching it up a bit today. Bella Demore from the Philly Inquirer joins to tell us about EJ Warner, Kurt Warner's son, earning the starting quarterback position at Temple as they play Rutgers today at one. Of course, Kurt Warner played for the Panthers. You know that. But I just got to say it for those who don't really excited to see what his son can do as a true freshman for the Owls. So we talk about that a little bit with Bella and uh, those are both coming up here in just a few segments. But stay right here for this first one on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com this morning. Now, you know, at this point, we can't go a single episode of an Iowa based sports show without talking about the Hawkeye offense, right? We, we we have to do it right now. They're playing again today, a night game versus Nevada. And so this is incredibly pivotal for a variety of reasons for the Hawkeye offense in its, in its entirety, not just Spencer Petras, not just Brian Ferentz, in its entirety. And we're going to get to it here on this first segment. So the Wolfpack... I believe I, I've said it a few times here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. The Wolfpack Nevada, they're bad. They're they're pretty bad. Sure, they're 2-1, and one, but who did they play, right? In that first week, I guess it's week zero technically, they played at New Mexico State. That game was awful. I hadn't seen football in months. You hadn't seen football in months, and I just I couldn't watch it. They won 23-12. It was uh, it was tough to watch. Then the next week they took on Texas State and won thirty eight to fourteen. Not very impressive. And then last week against Incarnate Word at home, an FCS team. Yeah, they're ranked in the top ten. They're a good football team. An FCS team went to Nevada and scored fifty five points against an FBS defense. They won fifty five to forty one over the Wolfpack. So. That's my first point about Nevada not being good. Anyway, UIW's University of Incarnate Word, their offense is legit. As a guy who covers an FCS team, they're scary. I don't want I don't want the Panthers to see them in the playoffs and I don't think Panther fans want to see that either, but they're not 55 points against an FBS opponent good. You know, they're 55 points against North Dakota good. <laughs> they're 55 points against I don't know Maybe not Sam Houston, but think of it here. Mercer, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Let me think here. Definitely a team like Monmouth or what, St. Thomas? Yeah, they'd score 55 points against St. Thomas. But anyway, they're a, a lethal offense, but they're not good enough to put up 55 points against an FBS team. So that should tell you Air Force, or excuse me, uh, the, the Nevada's defense, they're, they're god-awful. What I have in my notes here is saying that you and I didn't allow 55 points to Air Force, and they're a damn good FBS team. So that, that'll tell you what I have to say about that. Next up, 
Their defense has allowed seven passing touchdowns over three games and 917 passing yards against New Mexico State, Texas State, and Incarnate Word. Clearly not a good defense. Their offensive line has also allowed nine sacks. They've thrown for two touchdowns in total through three games. Thrown the ball, two touchdowns, three games. If you're an Iowa fan, that's nothing to bat your eye at because Petrus can't do that. But it's still not good. It's not good, especially against the competition they've played against. At least Iowa played Iowa State last week, and there are some dudes on that roster. And so going into this game, Nevada has been given a 10.4% chance to win. Again, it's at Iowa, a night game in Kinnick. Those are scary for opponents. It gets loud in there. And last thing I'll say about Nevada... Truth be told, I think South Dakota State's a better football team than Nevada. South Dakota State would beat Incarnate Word, and Incarnate Word laid the wood against Nevada, at least offensively. And so I would be completely... I would... (laughs) Hawkeye fans should be beside themselves (laughs) if if Iowa can't put points on the board against Nevada. That's that's essentially what I'm getting at. There are a few other things we got to talk about here, but... That's what I'm getting at. If Spencer Petrus can't get his footing, if the offense as a whole can't get its footing, then it won't get its footing. Yeah, we're three games into this season for Iowa football and for a majority of the country, but if you can't figure it out against this Nevada team, then you're done. Like There is no way, no matter how good your defense is, you match up against these Big Big Ten teams, rather, and they're going to eviscerate you because you can't do anything on the offensive side of the ball. You just can't. That's what that's what an indictment would be if Iowa can't do anything offensively against Nevada. Either way, I think they're going to win this game just because that's, you know, that's the defense. That's how good the Iowa defense is. But if the offense can't produce and look like they're a bunch of Division One football players, then this season's essentially over for Iowa. I, I'll say that right now. Sure, they might get to a bowl game at like six and six, maybe. But this is not a six and six offense. It's a, a ten and two. It's a, a eleven and one. It's a it's a high high status defense. But the offense does not, is not going to win them games unless they can figure it out. Now, in regards to Spencer Petrus specifically in the quarterback position, if Petrus can't get it right against this team, he won't be able to get it right at all in twenty twenty two, and his college football career should be done. Because I think he's going to be a good coach. We've heard him explain, we talked about those defenses against Iowa State, the Mike Linebacker, about how things are different. It's not a traditional 3-3-5. You're going to see things a little bit differently from an Iowa State defense as opposed to a Big Ten defense or a more traditional defense. And Spencer Petras, in an interview with a few of the media outlets that were there for a media event, explained the defense really well. He's going to be a good coach. I think he's really smart. And by all accounts, he's a great guy. But we don't have to give him the benefit of the doubt of being a great guy to say that he's a bad football player because that's what we're seeing right now. And, you know, overall, he might not be a bad football player. He's just in his head. Some of these throws, these simple throws he can't make, but he can make the more difficult throws. That's how you know you're in your head and you got the yips. Yips more of a baseball term, but it's just a mental thing where you just can't make throws. You're in your head. You're thinking about it too much rather than just doing it. And so if he enters the half against Nevada, six of 
I don't know, six of 17 or like four of 13 for 39 yards and a pick and no touchdowns. And the Hawkeyes lead 3-0 or even 10-0 because of a defensive touchdown, like a pick six or something. It is definitely time to put Alex Padilla in the football game. And there are no doubts in my mind about it. Whether or not Kirk Ferentz decides to do it, that's what I have doubts about. Padilla should have been on the field sooner than, than what he has been already. If Petrus continues to do this, he is not a Division I quarterback. Honestly, honestly, I feel like I could put up the numbers that he's put up just by way of backup, oh crap, he's open, wing the ball. I haven't played football since 7th grade, and I never played the quarterback position. 3.4 quarterback rating, 1.1 quarterback rating, I could do that. Sure, I'm 5'9", 170 pounds, and ran cross country in high school. But you know, I could figure something out. Petrus can't do it. it, especially if he doesn't figure it out in this game. He cannot do it, and he should be done. Now it's time for Padilla, in my opinion, and it's been time for Padilla. Spencer Petrus getting named the starter by Kirk Ferentz this week after we talked with Sean Bach from 24-7 Sports and HawkeyeInsider.com. If you missed that, you can listen to it on our podcasting feeds from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, etc. But if Padilla doesn't open up the second half, and... <laughs> If he does open up the lead, then it's his job going forward, definitely. But if he doesn't open up the lead, I don't know how Brian Ferentz remains your offensive coordinator after this game. I Nepotism can get you pretty damn far, clearly, if your name's Brian Ferentz. But this is just ridiculous. If if Especially assuming... Or you know, looking at this this game versus Nevada and and seeing if they can't put something together, you have to fire Brian Ferentz. If not after this week, after next, because the offense will not figure it out, and it needs to be changed in one capacity capacity or another. Rather, if especially if Alex Padilla goes into that game and can't produce either, because at that point it's not your quarterback, it's your it's your offensive coordinator. And if that isn't screaming at Kirk Ferentz in the face, I don't know what is. Anyway. Back to my original point. If Padilla comes in this second half, takes over, maybe even in the second quarter if Petrus is putrid like he has been, if he comes in and opens up that lead, I don't know how you give that job back to Spencer Petrus. I don't think you do. I don't think you can. I don't think there's any logical reason to. But flipping, flapping again, if the Hawkeyes cannot get anything going versus Nevada, Brian Ferentz has to be fired right now. Not tomorrow, not the day after that, not the day after that, not after media days when he's given a chance to try to talk himself out of a hole again or saying that Spencer Petrus needs to pick it up or Alex Padilla needs to pick it up or the offensive line needs to pick it up. It is your fault, man. The offense has been the highest they've been ranked ever with you at the offensive coordinator position is 88th in the country. You should not have a job. Or if you do have a job, it should be a running back, running backs coach or a quarterbacks coach somewhere. Maybe be demoted, you know? Move on to the FCS. Go somewhere else. He does not belong at an offensive coordinator position at D1 football. And I mean, let's let's just, again, hypothetically go back to that quarterback position and say it's an issue with Petrus as opposed to Padilla. I mean, if... Neither of them can get it done. Joey Labus, the unknown, the third-string quarterback, Joey Labus, who has some legs, 
I mean, I, I think he's going to be decent. I, I'm, I'm excited to see him, you know, given some time. And then, of course, James Reeser and, and Marco Lainez, they're coming up. But I'd take Labus's unknown. We don't know what he can be. I would take that 10 times out of 10 over what we're seeing on the field tangibly from Spencer Petras, even with the track record like Kirk Ferentz has referenced. I think it's in the last 10 games he's played, he's thrown one touchdown and nine interceptions. It is hard. You have to try to be worse than that. So I would take Labus over him, especially if Padilla can't put it together either. And, you know, there's only so much that, that I can say here on this Saturday morning on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. Elliot Clough on the mic with you, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. There's only so much I can say that hasn't already been said. But this has to be the last straw for Petrus if he can't put it together. It has to be. There's no logical reason to go any further if he continues to play like this. None. Zero. Zilch. You can't be that bad and still have a job as a starting Division I quarterback. Your team and your coaches can only defend you so much before they start to look stupid and you start to look stupid. And I'm going to reiterate something in the same vein that I heard Keith Murphy of WHO 13 in Des Moines, Des Moines rather, say, I think it was a week or two ago. You bench Spencer Petrus because you do respect him. You know he's more than capable of being better than what he's shown. That's why you put him on the bench. You say, you are better than this. Sit on the bench because we're going we're gonna to know that Alex Padilla is going to be a better option than you. It's not because we disrespect you. It's because we've seen what you can do and you're not living up to par. That's the, that's the only logical explanation or, or way to go about this because clearly saying, you're our guy, we believe in you, it's not, getting, it's not getting him past these yips. It's not getting him into any level of confidence. It's not giving him the, the wherewithal, the belief in himself to play good, quarter, good football as a quarterback of the Iowa Hawkeyes. It's pandering. It's what it is. It's saying, he's our guy, we're going to defend him. Well, you can only defend him so much if your quarterback rating's one point freaking one, and then it goes up, but to three point freaking four. That is insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And if they go with Spencer Petras again, he doesn't produce. He has to be done because otherwise, literally, Kirk Ferentz is insane. And pandering is not Iowa football. It's not. My name's Elliot. Rant over. We're going to move on here into the second segment. Cameron Salerno is joining us to preview that UNI versus number eight Sacramento State game happening today in the Dome at 4 p.m. Stay tuned for that. More corn stocks and sports talk here on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. All right, here we go. Back for this second segment here on corn stocks and sports talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. With me, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. You and I enters this week three of the season 0-2, and they've got a formidable opponent coming up today at 4 p.m. in the Dome in number eight Sacramento State, the second year in a row that they've played the Hornets. On to talk with us about the matchup is Cam Salerno of the Sacramento Bee. Cam, last time we talked, we did get to discuss this matchup a little bit. I had different visions of where you and I would be right now and, and how the fan base would be feeling going into this game, and, and we'll get into that, but... Where is, is Sac State at right now, only, having only played 
the one game and, and now they're coming off a bye week. Yeah, it's it's a very unusual vibe. You don't see a lot of teams get a week two vibe. That's just kind of how the hooky crumbled. But I mean, Sac State last year they lost to Northern Iowa in a blowout in at home season opener, and then they lost to Cal. But then Sac State ran the table, won eight straight games. So, like I was telling you off there, like it doesn't matter if you lose a few FCS games early, as long as you do good in league, you still have a really good chance of qualifying for the FCS playoffs. But yeah, Sac State had a really good win in week one against uh, Utah Tech, formerly known as Dixie State. Um, I was reading the game notes. They ran for their most rushing yards in 20 years in, in a season win. Yeah, and they scored touchdowns in offense, defense, and special teams. I, you probably have seen the viral video of uh, Cameron Scadabo, who's, who's Sac State's running back, uh, returning that uh, onside kick to the house. I mean, I think I mentioned him before, but I mean, he was my pick for a breakout player on the Sac State team. I mean, he's... He's the real deal. He's he's a very hard guy to bring down. So I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Obviously, Sac State's really well-rested. I don't think they have really any major injuries coming to the game, so they're pretty much fully healthy. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a really good opportunity for Sac State because I know they were kind of upset about that loss last season in Northern Iowa, just how it went. But it's going to be a really good game, I think. So most rushing yards in 20 years, is that indicative of how they're going to play this year? Or do you think that's just circumstantial and you know, Utah Tech just recently went D1? So, Yeah, and well, it's interesting about Sac State is they're probably one of the only schools in the country that really truly run a two-quarterback system. Obviously, you see a lot of schools across the country, they have two really good quarterbacks, maybe they rotate. But Sac State truly runs two quarterbacks. It's pretty wild to see. So Jake Dunaway is the passing quarterback. He's the pocket passer. Um, he was a preseason uh, pick potentially for MVP. I know there's probably about five guys who are nominated. He was one of them. And then you have Ash O'Hara, who's the running quarterback, and he he still comes in and, and passes sometimes too. But I think he ran for like 120 yards in the season opener. And then Saxon has two really solid running backs in Marcus Fulcher and Cameron Scadabo. And then they have a few other guys as well i think their offense is going to be the best in the big sky this season just because of the guys they return i mean i think they returned three out of five starting offensive linemen and then another one that didn't play last year he was a full-time starter in 2019 the last full season they played prior to that i mean they return all three of the receivers uh they have another guy who was hurt last year or hurt this year that played last year so I think Sac State's strength is the offense. I know the defense had some struggles week one. and They gave a few uh, explosive plays, but they also had some pretty good plays too. They forced some turnovers. They had a sack. They had like a 99-yard uh, pick six. So there's definitely room for improvement on the Sac State team, but I think their offense is definitely going to be something that is going to be something to watch going forward. And when you look at that that two-quarterback system, like you mentioned, it's not it's not common in, no. in the country. Um and Asher O'Hara being the running guy, Jake Dunaway being more of the the, the passer. Um, and, and is it is it a sort of a rotation, or they just kind of go with a feel like this person would be able to do well right now versus later? How does that work? It, it's pretty wild. They sub out quarterbacks like they do, like receivers or running backs. Like so, Dunaway will come in, and and O'Hara will come in, and like it's third and five and and Dunaway is coming out and O'Hara is coming in. So it really is circumstantial. There's not like a, okay, you have the first drive, you have the second drive type thing. It's literally like, okay, Jake Dunaway might play the first three plays of the drive and then Ash O'Hara is going to come in in a running situation. But yeah, I mean, O'Hara, I think rushed for 120 yards, like I said, and and he he's just explosive. He He's a guy who 
I mean, he went viral last year too against Cal. Like he tried to hurdle over someone. He kind of spun around the air. Like he hurdles people. He, he's electric. And I mean, having him and it's Gadabo as running backs and well, I mean, O'Hare is a quarterback, but I mean, he is kind of running back too, where just in the sense where he runs the ball a lot and same with Fulcher as well. And I mean, having that, that three headed monster is pretty cool. And then also too, I mean, I know, like, I don't want to get really too specific about Sac State, but their running back room is so deep. I mean, they have a guy in uh, Elijah uh, Tua Tolliver who was a Nevada Gatorade player of the year last year. Um, so, I mean, he's like the third straight running back. And then they have uh, Zeke Burnett, who's another running back from Sacramento, who's a freshman, and he was one of the best running backs in the area last year. Then they just got to commit, who was probably the top running back in Sacramento, who's a, a senior so I mean, their running back room is, is is so good, and and it just it's pretty cool to see how much depth they built. And I ran to some of the assistant coaches at high school game this week, just kind of do some scouting, and it's just amazing to see how Sac State's program turned around. I mean, these are the type of games a few years ago that Sac State would lose by twenty or thirty. I know they lost to Northern Iowa last year. That was kind of a I, w- I don't want to say a fluke, but I mean it was like it was kind of an outlier. But those are the games they lose lose consistently and now they're it's it's games are in every year so i think it's really cool to see sac state really turn around the program and it's because of troy taylor their head coach if you're unfamiliar with uh, the big sky conference it's it's mvfc big sky right those are the two best conferences in the fcs it's really not close it's really not close at all and to win a conference uh like the big sky and competing against teams like montana and montana state that's definitely not something to bat your eyes at and like you said last time um, it and today for that matter, they really flipped that script right after the UNI game. Um, now, when you're looking at one game so far this season, how much can people take away from that going into this UNI game? Are, are you going in saying, wow, they ran for 300 plus yards, they're going to do that again? Are you looking at that saying they gave up 506 yards passing to, to Utah Tech, which is something we definitely want to talk about? Um, yeah. How, how much value are you putting into that first game, especially against a team like a Utah Tech? I would say I think the running game is something that's going to be really consistently good all season. I think they'll finish probably top two or three in the big sky. So I think that's going to be pretty consistent going forward. I mean, I think the defense will be better. I know they have a lot of guys who are her first time starters or um, I know in the secondary, I think all four or at least three out of the four starters didn't play last year. One of them was a transfer. Another guy was like, you know, he started a few games, then their safety like started a few games as well. But I mean, their their defense for the most part is pretty new. I think they only probably have like maybe three or four starters returning. So it's definitely a new group. Their their defensive coordinator, Andy Thompson's brilliant. He's one of the the best brilliant minds in, in the big sky and in FCS. But if you see how they're kind of their season went, it's the same thing. I mean, they I mean, they obviously allowed a lot of points to North Northern Iowa. And I think that was kind of the game maybe like last two weeks ago where they allowed a lot of yards and a lot of points. And then to Cal, I mean, they played them pretty tough, but they obviously lost and Cal's in the Pac-12 and that's a whole different animal. And you kind of saw as the season went on, they really improved. And I think that's what Sac State is really, I think, good at. I mean, it's not, I mean, you look at the season at the start, there's definitely a lot of takeaways. I mean, you see in the NFL, you see that at college football, your first game, it's like, okay, the offense is going to be terrible and it's going to be really good. And I, I think you, a lot of people were saying, like, oh, Saxony's defense is going to be terrible. No, they're not going to be terrible. Just, you know, it's the first game. Like, a lot of these guys are first-time starters. So, I think as the season goes on, I think they're going to get better. But I would say the offense, for the most part, is going to be really, really good, especially the running game. 
Uh, again, we're talking with Cam Salerno of the Sacramento Bee here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com this Saturday morning. So you, you mentioned uh, the the fact that they're only bringing three or four starters back on the defense. We talked about the 506 yards passing. How would you say the best way uh, is for – what would you say the best way is for you and I to to attack the Sacramento defense? Is it through the air? Is it on the ground? What would you say? I would say probably through the air just because their cornerbacks are – I mean, I don't think inexperience is the right word, but they don't have a lot of starts on their belt. And obviously, uh, Utah Tech had a lot of success. And and it also was a different game plan too. Sacramento is playing more conservative in the sense where they are up by 20 and they, they just didn't want to give up – I mean – they were just kind of allowing, you know, short gains and and such like that. So I would say the defense is definitely, you know, it, they need to improve. I think everyone knows that there's there's no sugar coating it when you give up 33 points and and the amount of yards they did. It, it's definitely not good. But I mean, they did have some bright spots. Like I said, they had a 99 yard pick six. They had a few sacks. Um, the defense just needs to be better. And I it was really really good in 2019. It, it was really solid last year. And, and kind of like I said, like the defense and, and just Sac State, the way they trend is. At the start of the season, they really struggle, but then they kind of find their groove. There's always that one game where they they play, and it's kind of like their not get right game, but it's it's a game that really defines the season. Last year was Montana when they when they beat them on the road. I think they held them. I want to say it was like 13 or 14 points, and and it was it was really impressive, especially for a road game like that. And then the year before that, well, I mean they didn't have a COVID season, but they had a few games. They beat Eastern Washington. They beat uh, Montana. So there's definitely games and improvements they can make, but I would have to say right now, just with what we saw in week one and and looking at that, I would say the defense just it needs to be better. But I think there's uh there's ways to improve. But if if Northern Iowa is going to attack Sac State, it's probably going to be through there. Uh, for for the UNI defense, they're really not so far over these last two games they haven't been what you and i fans are accustomed to seeing uh it's it's a lot of issues with contain on the outside of of the uh of the of the defense in terms of when the running the ball uh to the perimeter that's 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 been a weak spot for you and i so far and then a lot of it was just to me from what i saw i think i should go back and watch it again uh to to make it more firm but either missed assignments or bad conditioning or something going on in the secondary so far, because there's a lot of talent back there. There there's a, 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 a probably one of the best groups in the FCS is the defensive back room for UNI. And it just hasn't shown so far in terms yeah. of just pure talent. Um, does that sound like a, a defense that Sac state is going to, you know, rip apart? What, what do you think there? I think they're going to run the ball a lot. I really think that's going to be their bread and butter this season, running the football and then obviously opening it up with a pass game. And, and, and there's ways to do that. And like, like I said, with Ash O'Hare, he's, he's definitely more of a runner, but he has been proven to pass the heat through two touchdown passes uh, on Saturday or two weeks ago. And so I think it, the Sac State defense how their or their offense rather is their philosophy is run the ball and then opens up the passing game. And I think that's what they're going to do this week. And we'll see for sure. I mean, I, I really expect Sac State to pound the rock and it's tough because I mean, with Missouri Valley conference teams, I mean, it's and, and teams in general, I mean, when they played South Coast state in the playoffs last season, I mean, it was a whole different animal. I mean, Sac State, I mean, they have some big dudes, but I mean, you look at, South Coast State, and they have they have country dudes who are, are huge. And I mean, you look at 
when I was on the field for pregame, I was like, wow, these guys are huge. Like compared to like Sac State people. I mean, I think that just, you know, like Midwest football in a nutshell for sure. So I think their game plans can be run the ball a lot. And I mean, whatever happens, happens. They have been proven where they can win a game on passing the ball and they can win the game running the ball too. That's what I was thinking too. More, you know, you don't want to say finesse in football because everything's hard in football, right? But yeah. more of a, a a air it out sort of just beat you with speed versus just you know that pure, like you mentioned, Midwest toughness that you only yeah. get on Midwest farms and when you experience Midwest winters. So yeah. um, we'll see how that shakes out. I'm definitely interested to see how you and I's run game uh, does against the against the the uh, the Hornets as well because of that and because of the the history and the lore of you and I offensive linemen. We'll we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, a couple more questions before we let you go. Uh, has Sacramento State like? I don't want to say ever, but like ever played in a dome. Yeah, they have because uh, Northern Arizona is a dome team. <laughs> Idaho State's a dome team. Idaho's a dome team. Um, I think that's it for Big Sky Football. I'm pretty sure. Uh, let's see. So Sac State obviously doesn't have a dome. Cal Poly, uh, UC Davis on domes. Eastern Washington, Montana, Montana State. Yeah, so I think it's only Northern Iowa or Northern Arizona um idaho state and idaho so i think they there's three domes in the big sky i know they played at idaho state last year they played at idaho in 2019 and um what's the other one? Oh, they played at northern arizona in 2019 as well so yeah they, they they have played in domes and i i think it is a different game i mean i know they it's interesting you say that because their um big sky opener last season was against idaho state in the dome and they really struggled i think it was it was like a 17 16 game or some really close game if i remember right. i know Idaho State, I think, missed a field goal that would have like potentially won the game or put them ahead late. And Sac State was able to or was able to convert. So yeah, I mean, it is interesting you say. I know that when they played Idaho in the dome in 2019, they really dominated. And in Northern Arizona, um, that was a crazy game. So they this was the second to last game of the, of the season. They were gonna play UC Davis the next week. And if they won, they they clinched a share of the big sky. This is in 2019. And it was the classic trap game because Northern Arizona wasn't really that good that year. I think they were near the bottom of the big sky, but they somehow had a 10 point lead with like three minutes left and Saxon ended up scoring a touchdown, gaining an onside kick. And then they scored another touchdown one by four, like in the final like minutes. So yeah, they have kind of struggled in the dome. So it's interesting. You, you, you make that point. So I think it will be an interesting environment for sure. I mean, Saxon, the weather here has been terrible for the last few weeks and it's, it's really starting to cool down. It was in like the it was 115 last week, uh, hottest temperature ever in Sacramento. So it's definitely gotten cooler. I think it's like I don't know, maybe in like the 80s now. So it's it's definitely a lot better. But yeah, playing in dome will be really interesting for them. That's a good point. Pair that with travel in the FCS. Travel in the FCS very different than the FBS. Uh, for right. those of you wondering out there, uh, last question for you, Cam, before we let you go. This is really a must-win game for you and I, in my opinion. I mean, you can't enter MVFC play 0-3 and, and expect to, to finish well and, and, and make the playoffs and finish with a winning season. So where are the Hornets at in terms of their confidence? Are they almost expecting a blowout? Because they're number eight. You and I is not ranked anymore. I think Saxon expects to win this game. I mean, just because they're the higher-ranked team. But I, I think it will be a really tough matchup because – it was a game they probably should have won last year and they got blown out at home. And, and so you can't really take any game for granted. Uh, I know next week they get play at Colorado state, which will be a tough matchup just because they're an FBS team, but I know Colorado state's not that good. 
like in, in the grand scheme of things, but it's still a tough matchup. So, I mean, just with Sac State's schedule this year, I mean, they, they have Weber State who, who beat Utah State 35 to 7. That was a really impressive game. And then, obviously, I mean, in the big sky, you have Montana's, you have uh, Eastern Washington, who looks really good this year. And then UC Davis is pretty strong. They almost beat South Dakota State. Um, but yeah, I would say the Hornets are pretty confident heading into this game, but you never know. I mean, it's, it, I think they were pretty confident after uh, um, heading to the Northern Iowa game last season, and you know what happened there. But what's interesting is they when they played, well, formerly known as Dixie State, um, they played Dixie State week one in last season, and they won 19-7. And they, they played a really good defensive game, but the offense really struggled. It's kind of interesting because this season the offense really thrived and the defense kind of struggled a little bit. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of football happens on Saturday. But I'm expecting a, a semi-close game. I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be closer than people think. All right, there you go. He is Cameron Salerno from the Sacramento Bee at Cameron Salerno One on Twitter. You can follow him and myself for the game on Saturday. Cameron, we appreciate you hopping on, man. All right, don't go anywhere. We got Bella Demore from the Philly Inquirer stopping by to tell us about Kurt Warner's son earning the starting job for the Temple Owls. EJ Warner stepping in and winning a game for Temple this last weekend, and now he's going to start versus Rutgers coming up. So don't go anywhere. We got more corn stocks and sports talk coming up on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. More corn stocks and sports talk coming at you right now here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. As Elijah, or EJ Warner, was named the starter this week for the first time in his college career. The son of Kurt Warner, of course, UNI legend, an NFL MVP, Super Bowl MVP. Uh, it, it's looking like he's trying to make a name for himself here for the Temple Owls. And now on to talk with us a little bit about EJ is Bella Demore from the Philly Inquirer. Bella how did EJ get get this time he's he's earned so far? And and did you or other people around the Temple program expect him to make this sort of impact this early? Yeah. Um, well, first off, it was a huge shock when we saw him come in in the second quarter of the game against Lafayette this past weekend. Um, I remember sitting in the press box and we were like, wait, what is that EJ going in? And, you know, so it was coming off of Dewan Mathis, the original starter of the game who started also in against Duke for their season opener. Um, we thought he was going to be the guy and we, his backup was originally Quincy Patterson, according to the death charts who came from Virginia. So we thought, okay, like we're not sure because freshman, uh, he's a EJ's a freshman coming in. So maybe we won't see any playing time of him, um, but you never know, obviously. So he came in and it was super shocking in the press box. We were obviously all sitting there like, oh, oh my God, he's coming in. But he, he was a sight to see. I mean, honestly, he came in and he proved that he can play obviously division one football and he wasn't he didn't look like a freshman and that's kind of I know that's cliche to say but he really didn't he had great confidence just standing there in the pocket and knowing that you know he there's probably all the, the defensive line was coming at him and he just had this nice um mobility within his feet to stay in the pocket and make accurate passes so yeah he came in and really proved himself during that um during the second quarter of that game and then played throughout the rest of those three quarters and so you mentioned Quincy Patterson who was initially the backup transfer from Virginia I'm assuming yes yeah, yeah. okay and then uh, Dwan Mathis, I read somewhere that he was a transfer from Georgia. That yeah. is crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's also <laughs> been um, kind of the talk too of, you know, um, Mathis was this guy, he comes from Georgia, has a really interesting story and his background and everything and came in as a very high prospect, you know, during his recruiting, pro um, recruiting process. So he came into Temple and initially everyone, you know, when he did come in um, during that time of last year under Rod Carey, we all thought, okay, Dewan Mathis is the guy, he's going to be the guy. And it, it obviously, you know, it took a turn, you know, uh, with last year was an interesting situation. They had Justin Lynch come in from who was form like who also had connections with Rod Carey through Northern Illinois. And then that kind of stirred the pot a little bit of, OK, um, Dewan Mathis didn't feel like he belonged in a sense to the starting spot. So that kind of he talked about transferring out of Temple, but then obviously with the head coaching changes that change that um you know perspective of his probably that's what we've heard you know he came in with a clean slate wanted to you know turn the help turn the program around and yeah so um that was kind of the shock but um you know Dewan Mathis I think he has great um you know he can really throw long down the field but I think he has certain um decision making skills that will uh that shows the kind of inconsistency of him you know he will the last two games he's fumbled the ball so it's two twice and in that game in particular against Lafayette he fumbled twice so that was kind of the decision that went for Drayton that went into that of saying like you know what after two fumbles I gotta you know, do something you know you, you can't he didn't want to lose this game against Lafayette that was really the ultimate decision that went into bringing in EJ and EJ won the, won the game for them I mean, what it looked like in only watching the highlights, I wasn't able to watch the whole game, but what it looked like with EJ was the offense just got a shot of adrenaline in its arm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think at first, once he started to get a little bit more comfortable making, you know, those 10 yard passes, and then once they got into the end zone, he really, I think the first, the, during that drive of when he came in, um, he launched it into the end zone into a particular spot it wasn't like to a direct person and then ian stort who is um a transfer from michigan state he came in just going directly to that spot and spot and caught the pass and it was beautiful it was honestly like i don't know if it was the play calling if he decided to do that himself but it was really you could tell the energy just 100 changed after he made that touchdown to um he threw that touchdown to ian stort it was really um incredible Again, we're talking with Bella Demore from the Philly Inquirer, a little bit about Kurt Warner's son, uh, EJ Warner, here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk this Saturday morning on AM950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. Now, with those plays that he made, I mean, what my my question regarding this is, what do his teammates think of him? I mean, I can't imagine he has been able to build that much rapport, not only as a freshman, but having only played three quarters with these guys. Yeah, I mean, um, so we got some of the players, Isaac Moore in particular, after he's on the offensive line after the game. And he kind of said how EJ led the huddle. He came in and was like leading that room and was kind of like talking through things. And he said it himself, too. He didn't look like a freshman. He spoke with confidence. He was trying to get the energy going. So definitely from someone who is in there, who's 
in a single digit on the team, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with the single digit concept, but it's awarded to the most toughest guys and the leaders of the team. So Isaac Moore is one of the leaders on this group. And for him to say that, that's huge of saying a freshman, a true freshman came in because now I'll you know, have uh, eligibility and, you know, this guy's a freshman, but he's not actually a freshman. But, you know, EJ's a true freshman coming in. And that's, I think, incredible that um, Isaac Moore was able to say that about him. Now, I imagine you've interacted with him a little bit. Can you see some of those qualities, those leadership qualities, intangibles that a freshman might not necessarily have developed this early? Yeah, honestly, we haven't had the chance to speak with um, EJ just in like he wasn't available during those um, during the media availabilities. He wasn't made available to us, but um, just kind of seeing from a distance of how he goes about, you know, on the sidelines with his teammates, um, he goes about it in as you know a pro almost like just with the way he is goes about the game and I think that's um that's huge for a freshman and maybe it comes from you know from stories that we've heard and done you know his dad Kurt was a huge part of his developing process so I think to have that voice to have that kind of um, mentality already maybe comes from his dad of instilling that and his brother you know at a young age. Now, you mentioned the teammates, you mentioned himself having that confidence. Does Stan Drayton have that confidence in him? That's I think that's the number one question, obviously, when you're looking at future playing time for EJ. And and do you think that it, Stan Drayton's head coach for Temple, by the way, for those of you Iowa fans who don't know that, but uh, for EJ to continue to to be the guy going forward. Uh, it doesn't seem that Stan Drayton has that confidence quite yet, which is understandable given that how little he's played and the fact that he's a freshman. Um, how much confidence does Stan Drayton have in him at this point? And, and what do you think EJ needs to do to solidify having that job going forward? Yeah, I mean, from talking to Stan Drayton on Monday, because that's when every Monday we'll always get a press, uh, you know, availability with uh, Drayton. And we kind of just go through the game and he talks about how, you know, he always rewatches the film and he goes through it and he liked what he saw from EJ. He was really impressed. He said the words pleasant pleasantly surprised of one, just the way that he was able to handle himself under that pressure, the way he was able to take you know, getting tackled by these defensive linemen and still get back up and make another play. And he, so with that being said, he, you know, he's taking first team reps with, um, you know, in practice this week. And he, I mean, Dreen has said that all the quarterbacks take first team reps just to get a rotation going within them. So they can kind of tell, you know, evaluate where the talent is at, but he, the words he used was, he's taking more first team reps. So it's, it's, you know, I think him solidifying that spot, he's doing the, all the right stuff that he's supposed to be doing um, by holding himself a certain way by his performance on the field and obviously showing that. Um, and obviously from what we saw in the death charts, he was the number one guy from when, what we saw. And then Dewan Mathis was considered the backup. So it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, EJ was the starter against Rutgers. And I think Rutgers will be a huge evaluation for him of what he can do because this is a Big Ten team. This is going to be the only Big Ten team that Temple plays the, this season. So I think, um, yeah, it's going to be a big evaluator of where he's at. And but also just to note, you know, Drain has said his ceiling is so high. So the fact that you know, he's doing all this stuff now. Wait until he gets to his junior year of this kind of, um, you know, the player he can be. So you mentioned that game against Rutgers. That's going to be where we see what, what EJ is and what he's capable of. 
Scarlet Knights are pretty heavy favorites. What will EJ need to do in this game, assuming uh, everything goes the way we expected to, to keep the starting job? And I mean, who knows? Maybe even lead them to a win over the Scarlet Knights. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, well, just watching what Rutgers has done so far, their defense is super strong. I mean, they've ca- caused five turnovers so far in the last two games that they've played. So that's going to be something huge for the offense. And even so, just keeping the ball, um, you know, I, I mean, with the fumbles and the situations that they've gotten themselves into, they cannot make those simple mistakes because that's what costs them turnover uh, of possession time. And that's going to be so crucial for them is possession of that ball. So I definitely think they're going to have to be aware of that. Maybe their run game is going to be sh- like, they're going to have to utilize the run game more so. And, um, you know, and I think EJ's also capable of doing that. I think he's capable of running, but I also think he's a good decision maker. So it, when he is in the pocket, he'll, find those from what it seemed from just watching him within those three quarters and I we haven't seen a lot of him you know like we said and this is going to be a stronger defense um I think he's a a decision maker in a sense that he can if plays aren't going a certain way or something isn't going the way that they thought it was um he can make those decisions to get it them to where they need get them a first down get them what they need to get to if you're unfamiliar with Rutgers uh listeners they're actually not awful anymore. So I, they, they're two and oh so far. Um, and and I mean, I think they're a team to to keep your eyes on. You know, they are in the Big Ten, so it is a little bit more difficult. But um, before we get to my final question here with uh, Bella, we are talking with Bella Demore um, here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. She covers Temple's. Oh, my gosh. I almost said Rutgers. And then I said Temple's Temple football. For the Philly Inquirer, uh, we're talking a little bit about Kurt Warner's son, EJ Warner, being named the starting quarterback. Of course, he is a true freshman. Do you think they can pull off a victory uh, against a Big Ten team like Rutgers? Oh, um, <laughs> that sounds like a no. <laughs> I think it will be better than last year. Last year, uh, I'm going to say, I think I can't. It's 61 3. Uh, I believe it's 61 3, which was pretty terrible it was their first but it was their season opener and drain has said this is a clean slate they are not looking back they're not evaluating themselves from the kind of team that they were last year because first off he wasn't even here it was under rod carey um so i think you know they'll be better than they were it won't be the score that that was last year um kind of just looking at how i think they're improving from what they were played against duke which was a blowout they didn't score a single point um but maybe with ej warner in and with guys you know with the defense kind of finding some a little because temple's defense is definitely their stronger suit they'll find a little bit more consistency there and i mean maybe i I honestly think ruckers is going to be the one to get this win in my opinion um obviously to see temple win that's you know, you want to see the team you cover win because that's great. Um, but in just looking at stats, numbers and everything, um, I think Rutgers will be the one to get the victory. But I think Temple will do more than what they're anticipated, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotcha. She is Bella Demore. She is a, uh, a writer, associate sports editor, to be exact, for the Philly Inquirer, covering Temple football. You can follow her on Twitter, at Bella Demore. It's D-I-A-M-O-R-E. Bella, thanks so much for hopping on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
And that'll do it for this week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can always listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, if you are a listener on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever you have, go ahead and subscribe, follow, drop a rate and a review. That does help us out a lot. Seriously, if you like what you're hearing, make sure you do that. It does help us out so much. And if you want to just get our guest segments, you can do that on my YouTube page, just Elliot Clough. Go ahead and search that there. So once again, folks, my name is Elliot Clough. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media. You can follow me on Twitter at Elliot Clough, E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. And this was another week's edition of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk.